What's up, Eastside? So one of the things, I like that, one of the things that uh, I thought was really special about what we just got to spend some time doing is that this is the way that I wanted to start out our time together today. I wanted to share with you, I wanted to confess to you that it takes me standing up here on a Sunday that happens to be the 4th of July to really on this holiday, not on any given day, but on this holiday on the 4th of July, to think about the gift that it is that we get to be here worshiping God together. And that we get to be in a big building that is visible from the road with a website that says the date and the time that we're going to be here and professes everything that we generally believe. And that we don't have to worry or be concerned about the chance to get to be here together. And that is something that I take for granted too often. So today, I hope that as we celebrate liberty and barbecue and whatever else you may have on the docket, fireworks, that you think about that. So 4th of July, what do, we, what do we celebrate? We celebrate freedom from something. In this case, we celebrate freedom from Great Britain, right? Another country. And yet today, what I want to talk about is that we have freedom in something. That we have freedom in our dependence on a loving God. And so freedom of independence and yet freedom of dependence. Freedom in dependence. We may have been running away from Great Britain, but today my hope is that our hearts are running to God. And yet as a people, we chase after our independence in a busy and a hurried way. When you ask somebody how they've been doing, the most common answer I would say is probably, I'm busy, got a lot going on running around like a chicken with the head cut off, something in that vein. And if they happen to say something else, if they happen to say, good, like, how are you doing? I'm good. It's probably because they haven't taken the time because they're too busy to think about how they're really doing or they don't have the time to share it. We are a busy and a hurried people, especially in this culture. We're chasing days, chasing dreams, chasing money, chasing success, chasing affirmation. We have a break, we pick up our phone, we're still chasing. I mean, I think about it and we are a rush order shipping, a red light running, eat on the go, five quick steps to financial success, up or out, phone always on, respond immediately or I'll think you're dead type of culture. always chasing, and there's no rest for the weary. Right? Except that that's not what the Bible says. That Jesus in Matthew, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think we just put so much pressure on ourselves to have everything figured out, so much responsibility that we think is ours to own that is just all-encompassing and suffocating at times. And that always busy, always running, self-reliant culture that we are in, hopefully not consumed by, but certainly impacted by, is not the life that the Bible invites us into. And so today, as we dive into Psalm 27— 
I hope that it challenges and encourages you in two specific ways. In an intentional pursuit of your top priority, the right top priority, and an intentional pursuit of pace. Priority and pace. Isn't alliteration awesome? Please prioritize picking purposeful po words. If you hear me say psalms today, you're going to know why. It's because I got a thing. Um, so priority. A heart and a mind prioritizing our Lord above all else. And pace. A pace of dependence. And spoiler alert, if you're going to jump out of here early to hit the festivities, that a pace of dependence is an unhurried and an unbusy pace. So, if you're anything like me, I kind of like to know the roadmap of what somebody's going to be walking through as we're going to spend some time together. And so that roadmap looks a little bit like this, that we're going to start out at reading through Psalm 27. And then we're going to talk a little bit about that we get to walk in dependence in the Lord. Not that we have to, but that it is a true gift that we get to walk in the dependence on the Lord. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, in light of that, what the right top priority in our life should be which is just being in the Lord's presence. Cue pace. That's not a hurried thing. And then we're going to end talking a little bit about waiting. Re-cue pace. Waiting is tough and that waiting is a gift. Let me pray for us as we get started. Father God, we thank you so much for the chance to get to be here together. And Lord, for everybody in this room, Father, I ask that you put all of the things that we may be walking in with us today, things that we're thinking about that are keeping us from being present right here, right now, that you'd keep those at bay. Lord, that you take away our distractions, whether it's that we came from a house that was a mess or we walked in late or we have places to be after this, whatever it is that may be trying to nag at us, whatever Satan's trying to do to grab our, grab our attention and our affection, Lord, that you would put blinders on us to be able to be tuned in our hearts and our minds to what you'd have for each of us today. In your name, amen. Psalm 27. So it's just about smack dab in the middle of your Bible. And if you have a Bible today, if you open up to the very beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents that I find super helpful. And you can find Psalms that starts with a P and, when, uh, and then it'll tell you the beginning of that book. And we'll be in Psalm 27. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing that I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent, and he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. 
You have said, seek my face, and my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. You teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So out of the gate, David is professing attributes of who God is. Specifically, what he's communicating is attributes of who God is to David, right? So he is saying, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. Or another way that you can think about that is my safety or my protection. These are attributes of God that are just true. Whether you know him or you don't know him, whether you believe him or you don't believe him, whether you profess these things or you don't, they are just true. It is attributes of God that are true. That he is your light. He is the only hope for salvation. He is your protector. He is your strength. He has never failed and he never will. He is steadfast and he's unwavering. That's who he is. And yet, while it looks like David may just be articulating attributes of who God is, I think what's interesting is that as he's articulating these characteristics of God, these attributes of God, that he's actually also able to highlight who David is. Because by saying that God is my light, you are saying, David is saying, we are saying, I am not my light. By saying that God is my salvation, we are saying, I am not my salvation. I cannot solve for eternity. I cannot cover the gap that would exist between me and a heavenly perfect father. That is not something that I can do. My God is my salvation. That my God is my safe place that I need somewhere to run. And yet how easy is it for us to feel like we're the ones that are responsible for paving our own path. That we're responsible for solidifying our future that we are the ones that should protect ourselves, right? And I think that recognizing our role and recognizing the Lord's role is such a beautiful way to rid yourself of so much unnecessary anxiety and worry. There are so many things in our lives that we are carrying on with, that we are burdened by, that we are weighed down by, that aren't even ours to own. And that dependence, I think, is such a beautiful segue into the rest of the time that we'll spend together, jumping into verse 4 and then ending in verses 13 and 14. And so verse 4, I'm going to read it again to us. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. To do two things, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And so this is David's one thing. That this is a guy that's navigating kingdom. He's got, as the psalm laid out, he's got wars going on and battles that are happening. He's clearly got friends and family and relationships. He has money and wealth and career and all these things to navigate. And yet he distills it down to one thing that is important above all else for him. Where he wants to be, not just what he's asking the Lord for, also what he is seeking out. And that is sitting with the Lord, dwelling in the house of the Lord being in his presence. 
So I want to break down the two pieces of that a little bit. The first one, gazing on the Lord's beauty. Reflecting, meditating, thinking on. So gazing on the Lord's beauty. You can read that and I can, at times I can be like, well, what, does that, what does that look like? What does that mean? But it's not that hard for me to think about the last time that I called something beautiful. A sunset or a flower or my wife or my daughter. And it takes time to pause, to admire, and to appreciate the thing that's in front of you. And a beautiful way to gaze at the Lord's beauty is admiring creation, right? That is all around us. Admiring what he's been doing in your life. Admiring what he's doing in the lives of those around you. So I learn a lot from my kids, especially when I'm taking the time to pay attention. And uh, the other day, I had all three kids. So I got three kids, Bennett, Lila, we call her LJ, and Dylan, four and a half, two and a half, and eight months. And I had all three kids, and we were in a hurry. We were late to get somewhere, as we often are. We were rushing to get shoes on, get out the door, get to the car, get in car seats, and move. And we probably had almost enough time if we did it perfectly. And with three little kids, it just rarely happens that way. And so I grabbed the youngest two, because Bennett's old enough to get in the car on his own. And I get them strapped in, and Bennett should be right where he's supposed to be. And yet I look at his seat, and it's empty. So I'm getting frustrated. I'm annoyed. I'm looking back, and I'm like, come on, where are you at? What's going on? And he is crouched down on our porch. His face is about this far from the ground, and he's just staring intently at something. So I'm like, Bennett, what, what is going on? What are you doing? Let's go. We have places to be, things to do. Like, what's going on? What's so important? It's like, it's a roly-poly and it's crawling. Right? But here's the thing. He gets it. He is four and a half years old and he gets what it means to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Whether that's what he's thinking about in his own mind or not, that is what he is doing. That he is saying, I know that there's things I need to be doing, and yet there is something that God created that is doing what it was made to do. And I have seen it a thousand times in the last four days, and I'm going to stop and stare at it. And to put a little bit of an interesting twist on it, think about my position in that. Right? Here I am, dad, the authority figure, but what do I sound like? Let's go. There's no time for that. You can't do that. You need to be here. Doesn't that sound like our culture? Right? How hard is it to actually carve out time to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord when your schedule and when everything around you is telling you that you need to hurry up and get going? It was convicting for me, eye-opening, and I'll say that it was encouraging because I know that we have a patient God. Inquiring in his temple. What does that look like? It can look like just throwing out questions in a big open room, if you take it a little bit literally. And I think the Lord would meet you in that. If you have questions that you want to throw out in an open room, we have an active living God that wants to hear your questions and engage with you. And I think more generally, what it's talking about here is meditating and growing and learning that we mature in our faith. And it reminds me of Paul in Philippians when he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. And what he's talking about there is straining towards what is ahead, fully reflecting the image of Christ. So you have two guys, David and Paul, Old Testament, New Testament, mature godly men of faith that are both sinners and broken like we are, 
that have decided and identified that the single greatest thing that they can put their attention on, what they should want above all else, their one thing is seeking after the Lord. And so my question for you today is, what is your one thing? Where are you dwelling? And if you're like me, it's a tough question to generally answer because I just talked about something that sounded pretty good that David laid out or that Paul laid out. And it's like, yeah, I think I want that. And it's not just what do we want to be our one thing. It's also what is our one thing. And inevitably it changes from moment to moment, from day to day. And so here, here's what I found for myself is that it was helpful to give some context to look at it in a more narrow scope. And so here's a different way you could frame it up. You could just say yesterday, July 3rd, 2021. Your head pops off your pillow. You have a series of thoughts, heart sets, questions, actions that happen, and then your head goes back down at the end of the day. What was the thing that had more of your attention, more of your affection than anything else? When I think about that question, and, and, and thankfully, and I hope more and more every day, my, my answer would be something like what David would say, but there are days that it's not. And for me, the thing that I struggle with that I would say is often in that spot is executing on my jobs and my roles specifically because I want other people's approval. Proverbs calls it the fear of man and that it's a trap. But it's what I struggle with, that I want to perform, I want to execute, that for some reason my worth is caught up in how well I navigate my career or how good of a husband I am or how good of a father I am, that though those are things that the Lord has put into my life, that those are beautiful things, that if I elevate my performance of those things to get affirmation, that I'm missing the mark. And so I went through, I wanted to lay out for you all just what that could look like for me as I think about a work day with the lens of what does it look for Matt to do fear of man type work? And what does it look like in that same day if I'm seeking the Lord, if my hope and my dependence is on the Lord? And so this is something I wrote out for you guys that I'm going to read out. Wake up, my head pops off my pillow, and immediately I'm bombarded by the fact that I have three deliverables that I need to get out, and I have a board meeting tomorrow. I'm already behind, and so I frantically shower, I toss on clothes, I remind myself to kiss Allie, grab my coffee, and I'm out the door, and I forgot to kiss Allie. Traffic is bad, it's Dallas, it's always bad. Making aggressive moves with the sole purpose of beating the time that Google Maps says that I'll arrive at my office. I make a quick loop around the office to say good morning to the people that are there. And I ask, but I'm not really asking if there's anything that I can do to help because we both know that I don't have enough time. I'm sitting at my desk to work on some of those deliverables and I get a text from a friend checking in. I send a quick surface level response. I step into a parade of meetings that take me through the rest of my day. Partially present mentally in each one, thinking about the other things I need to do or where I was coming from or where I'm going. Inevitably, I'm running later and later to each meeting. And the last meeting of the day is with a coworker who hasn't been performing super well. So I provide him the feedback that he needs to get him to where he needs to go, and I get home. Now, what if that day looked like this? I wake up and my head pops off my pillow, and immediately I'm bombarded by that same to-do list. And I stop and I ask the Lord to calm my spirit and to guide my day. I take a big deep breath. 
I diligently shower and get ready for my day, talking to God along the way. And I kiss Allie before I go because it's easier to remember when my mind isn't racing. Traffic is bad. It's Dallas. It's always bad. But I worship a little bit in the ride. I look at my calendar to prepare for my day, and it looks really busy. Too busy. I choose to move a few things around to create some much-needed breathing room. And the people that I reach out to are gracious and understanding. I make a quick loop around the office to say hey to the people in the office and I ask, and this time I really ask, is there anything that I can do to serve you? I'm sitting at my desk to work on some deliverables. I get that text message and I take one minute knowing that I don't have a lot of time to give a brief but an honest response. I'm struggling to not feel behind and anxious. God is good. More later, text me if I forget. Having created space, I'm able to focus more intentionally on being present in those meetings. And I'm trying to look for opportunities and asking the Lord to equip me with opportunities to love on the people that are sitting in those rooms. And that last meeting that I have with my coworker that I have a few minutes beforehand to ask the Lord to show up, to give me some sort of insight into what's going on. And it dawns on me that maybe there's something else here than just his execution on those duties. And so we get in there and I get to talk to him and realize that this re-entry back from COVID has actually been really hard on his family. And so instead of having a conversation about you're here, you need to get here, let's get you here, it's a conversation around creating health in his home and in our office. It's the same day, similar activities with a different heart set and priorities. It's clear to me which one is more life-giving. And this isn't just a career thing, right? You can insert any job, any place. You can insert any location, a school, a house, an office. You have your own thousand things that you can be looking at and doing that can be taking you from the perspective and the pace that are healthy. And it reminds me of a story from the New Testament in Luke chapter 10. In verses 38 through 48, this is a story about a woman named Martha. And so Jesus is in the middle of his ministry, and, uh, and he has just fed the 5,000, done the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he enters a village. And when he enters the village, Martha meets him and finds him and says, please come over for dinner. And I think it's worth pausing for a second to note that Jesus Christ the person with clearly the most significant responsibility of anybody in this room, myself included, said, yeah, I have time to come over for a meal. That sounds great. He created that pace. And so he comes over for dinner and Martha has a sister, Mary. The two of them live together. And Martha is cooking the most important meal that she's ever going to make, right? Jesus is in the living room. And so she goes into that kitchen and she gets after it. And she is frantic. She is trying to find the right stuff. She's trying to find, I'm just imagining her finding the right bowls and getting the things moving and maybe the fire's going out. But over time, she is progressively getting more and more worried, more and more anxious, more and more tired. And she looks around and she realizes at one point that she's all by herself. Her sister Mary, who lives with her, who's also hosting, is doing nothing. So finally, Martha's had enough and she goes into the living room and she goes, she doesn't address her sister. She addresses Jesus and she says, this. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me, right? And Martha is so aware of the significance of this meal, and she's so aware of how important the things are that she's doing in the kitchen that she doesn't even wait for Jesus to answer her question. She's like, 
it's a rhetorical question. Get my sister in there because I know that she needs to be helping me. So Jesus takes a breath, and this is what he says. He says, Martha, Martha. He says her name twice, right? I'm sure you've been there. You're talking to somebody. Allie does this with me all the time. I'm so caught up in whatever I'm doing that she says my name one time, I'm not going to hear it. And so she has to woo me in. And that's what I think Jesus is doing here. He's drawing, a, he's drawing a significant amount of attention to what he's about to say because it's important. He says, Martha, hey, 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 Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And what is he saying? He's saying all of the things that you're doing in the kitchen to prepare for this dinner, it's not that it's bad, but it's missing the point that the one thing is to be in my presence like Mary here in this room. That that is your fill. I can tell you that I've been a Martha for many days of the last 20 years. That I knew Jesus, I love him, and I have plenty to do. And that sometimes in the name of him, sometimes in the name of worldly things like success or affirmation or money, that I start focusing on all of the things that I need to do. And oftentimes I'm too busy to even know why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. And so I feel like the Lord's been putting me on a journey and I hope that he begins to take you on one too, which is thinking about where you're taking up the role of Martha when he's calling you to the role of Mary. And so as we come to grips with the fact that inevitably in here, there are always going to be moments and, and moments and days that we are not putting the Lord and dwelling in his presence as our number one thing. Where do we go from here? What do we do? And I would say this, I would say that as you are chasing, as we are chasing other things, the Lord is chasing us. That we have a God who is quick to forgive and eager for your return. So as I think about, if you came in here today and you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, that all sounds great. I get it, but you don't get what I've been chasing. You don't get, Matt, the things that I've done in the name of the stuff that I've been chasing. There's no grace for that. It's too nasty. It's too far gone. I don't want to talk about it. The Lord is your light and your salvation. And that covers you, that you have a heavenly father that loves you so much that though sin plagues this world, that as the New Testament says, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it doesn't matter how bad or how good you think your sin is, that we all fall short of the glory of God. And that through sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, to not only walk it perfectly, to walk it humbly, to walk it gently and lowly, that when he would die on the cross as that final sacrifice, that that is for you. Not for everyone sitting around you, that is for you. Them too. And maybe as you're thinking about this, you're thinking about the fact that I know the reason that I'm chasing this other stuff, whatever this stuff may be, that I'm chasing it because I can look back to these points in times where I've just been hurt. I am wounded, I am beat up by someone or something that has happened before and I just don't love the way it feels. 
the Lord is your stronghold. He is your safety. And that this church today, where you are, that this is a safe place for you. And that not only is our heavenly father a safe place for you, but he is also a God that heals. He's a God that heals physically. He is a God that heals emotionally. He's a God that heals spiritually. And maybe you're in here and all this is new to you. Maybe you've never heard any of this stuff before, but you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm tired. I feel suffocated by the thousand things that I have before me that I feel like I need to execute perfectly on. And my invitation to you, which is not my invitation, it's the Lord's invitation, is come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. That everything that we're talking about today is for you. That you may come to realize that the Lord can be your one thing. And that you may come to realize that he is the only one that can save you. And so I want to end our time together jumping to the end of this, 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There it is. He said it twice again. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. We're in a culture where waiting has a negative connotation, right? Stuck waiting in line. Can't wait to get a job. I can't wait to get a girlfriend. Can't wait to get married. Can't wait to have kids. Everything can't wait because we don't want to wait. And yet the Lord is calling us here very clearly, saying it twice. He's calling us to waiting. So what's the big deal with waiting? Well, here's what I would say. I would say that in order to wait on the Lord, you have to recognize your dependence on him. And that as you inevitably are in a season of waiting that you're creating some level of margin because you are navigating and working through feelings of worry and anxiousness that the Lord wants you to meet with him on. And that we ultimately get to remind ourselves that it's our job to obey and God's job to move. And you know, it makes me think about though waiting is tough, what if we looked at it like a gift? And I know how hard it can be, right? It's tough, but what if it's a gift? that I think about the, the image I have is, is people that lift weights and try to, try to grow uh, muscle mass, that they think about the soreness that they experience after a workout, that that's something to be recognized, something to be valued because it's showing the progress that they're making. And that in waiting, it can be painful, but it can sure produce progress. And so if you are here today and you're in a place where you're in a waiting, where you have a ticking clock and maybe you've been looking for a job for a long time, haven't found it. Maybe you've been wanting to start a family and it hasn't been progressing like you want to see it progress. You've been wading through sickness in your family or someone you know. I want you to think about and hear today that your God is no less in control in the waiting than he is when he's moving and you're seeing action. And that he is a loving God and a good God. And if there is one character that is going to be responsible for the outcomes of things, he is the right character to be responsible for the outcomes of things. And I know that it can be anxiety-provoking and worrisome and tiring, and the Lord wants to meet you in that. And so my hope for the church, I wanted to close with this. 
I wrote this out for you guys as I was thinking about this message and myself as well, that, that we are a church of members with healthy rhythms, fading anxieties and fading worries, progressively experiencing more of the fruit of the Spirit, that as a church, that we are a church that witnesses what the Lord is doing in our lives and around us, and that our eyes are not focused on the ground in front of us running to keep our worlds spinning, but that our eyes are up, trusting that the Lord is our light, seeing and engaging on what he is doing. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for being our light, being our salvation, being our stronghold. Lord, I pray that as we continue through our time here together, and as we leave here, that our hearts and our minds would be more equipped to gaze upon your beauty and inquire in your temple. And Lord, as we are in periods of waiting, that you would meet us in that waiting and let us know that you are walking through it with us, revealing to us what it is that you would have for us in it. In your name, amen.